Hey, Junior here. Thanks for hitting play. In 1987, the song Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For by U2, it topped the charts. It hit a world deep because that's a feeling that we all feel. Still haven't found what I'm looking for. Let's talk about it. You know, there's a lot of relationship tests out there, and maybe you've taken them before. You know, people going online to see if, you know, they're compatible to work with this person or to marry this person. And so, you know, you can jump online or there's books that do this or sometimes companies will spend lots of money. Maybe your company has done this, bringing somebody to do like a disc or an Enneagram or, or, you know, strength finders, all in hopes to see, hey, can, can, we, can we work together? Can we work together well? I have a theory, though, and it's far more simple. If you really want to test the strength of a relationship, go to Ikea, buy something, and put it together. I mean, seriously, I don't, I don't care. I don't care what your Enneagram is. Like if, if you and I can put together something from Ikea without throwing the Allen wrench at each other, I really do feel like we could, we could really take on the world. When my wife and I, when we were dating, there was, uh, there was an Ikea table that, uh, that needed assemblies actually at church. And so somehow we ended up doing it. Very cheap date. And Nicole and I, my wife and I, we can be free spirits sometimes, which also means we can be idiots. And so we decided to put this table together without trying to use or translate the Swedish instructions. So we're just like, forget the instructions. How hard can it be? It's like four, four, you know, four legs and a top. And an hour in, like it looked pretty good. It looked like the, the table that was on the display. Problem was, was there was this important piece that we left boxed because we didn't really know what it was for. So let's just leave it in the box. And it ended up being the support beam that held the whole table together. So just when we thought that we were done, the table couldn't even hold the instruction packet that, that it came with. I mean, it looked like a table. It looked good. But there was one forgotten piece that was everything for it. And that's a lot of people's lives, isn't it? Kind of cruising throughout life, and maybe from the outside, it looks good. Like you have that job, or you have that business, or you, know, you have the house, you have the cars, you, you have the family. Life looks similar to what you're trying to build. But every so often you wonder, like, come on, is this it? Because I kind of feel like something's missing. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And it's a feeling that has haunted man, even the most successful of men. You think of guys like uh, Elvis Presley. I mean, you talk about building a life, right? Pinnacle of success, museums named after him. His estate today, I mean, we're decades after his death. His estate today is still worth half a billion just ridiculous success. He was haunted by this whole idea. Something's missing. He said this. He said, I always wanted a Cadillac. Now I have a fleet of them. So what? Just wanted a caddy. There's a fleet of them. Hole is still there. Something's missing. Or Tom Brady. I love him or hate him. Arguably the goat. Amassed a fortune. Married a supermodel. Beautiful family. Yachts, houses, NFL records, MVP. Uh, rings. He's still playing at 45. Like, we're going to be talking about this guy for generations. Yet he said this. He said, why do I have all these Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? There's got to be more than this. Like, with everything this guy's done, still haven't found what he's looking for. It's a missing piece. The reality is, is many of us are walking around with a missing piece. There's just a hole in our life, and so we try to fill it. Uh, bigger paychecks, more notches on the bedpost, from this relationship to the next. You know, maybe I'm missing a person. 
And each attempt seems to fit for a while, like the new relationship is fun and exciting. The butterflies kind of make you feel like you forget the hole that's in your life. The, the relationship distracts you from what you got going on, or the more luxury, or the new job, or the baby, or doing good works. It's all a distraction. It's all fleeting. Then our head hits the pillow, and we feel that missing integral piece to our life, and it haunts us. It's actually nothing new. There's a funny story in the Bible. Maybe I shouldn't say it's funny. It's, it's more sad. Comedic tragedy. Is that like a genre? Comedic tragedy. If, if, if it's a genre, this story would definitely be in it. you got to see it. It's Acts chapter 17 is where we're going to be. Acts chapter 17. Uh, really encourage you to grab a Bible. We've got Bibles in the chairs. Maybe you're new today. And like I haven't really touched one of these Bibles ever, or I haven't touched one of these in like decades. Uh, we're just glad that you're here. It's a great time to just crack it open and give it a shot. It's page 926 in the Bibles in the chairs. I'll also have some of the verses up here on the screen, but there is something to opening opening up the Bible uh, together. We're going to do what we normally do here at the bridge is after we sing, uh, we get into God's Word and we just slowly go through it, read a verse, talk about it, read a verse, kind of pick some things out, and, uh, and it is life-changing as, as we will see. So God, we ask that you bless this time as we get into your Word. May we remember that this is your Word and uh, we believe it's true. May we receive what it says. In the name of Jesus, please open our hearts. Maybe even some hearts in here who have never been open to you ever before. May we open our hearts for what you have to say and engage our minds. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we enter into Acts chapter 17, we actually find ourselves in the ancient city of Athens. It's about 50 A.D., the Acropolis stands as an intimidating structure on the hill overlooking the city. Even from the port below, as ships drift in, crews can't help but, but stare at this pillared structure as it invites pilgrims. See, there's this constant electricity in the air here in Athens. The main thoroughfare up, leading up to the hill is your typical ancient tourist trap, so to speak. A gimmicky religious trinkets hanging from canopies. Animals are paraded around the streets as potential sacrifices. Preteen boys run through the streets as heralds, telling guests where they can find lodging for that night. And during the day, the steps all the way up the hill to the Acropolis are lined with people. But in the evening, the crowded steps turn into crowded streets. It's just a constant energy. Guests and crews of sailors pouring in to experience Athens, to experience the temples, to experience the temple women, to, to experience the Greek food, the, the nightlife, all of it surrounding the Acropolis. And just northwest of the Acropolis, it's another gathering place, a large rock protruding from the hill. Everyone calls this the Hill of Ares or the Oropagus. Supposedly, according to Greek mythology, this is where Eris was put on trial for killing Poseidon's son. So this is a very special, sacred spot in Athens. But it also acts as this pavilion. People can gather here for discussion and debates and speeches. It's all part of the, the experience of Athens. First, you enjoy the shopping down below the hill. Then you walk the steps to the Acropolis. You worship in the temple. And then you head over to this pavilion to listen and discuss and debate. But today, this pavilion will be more crowded than it's ever been. And scripture brings us in, in verse 16. It says, now, 
while Paul was waiting for them, and at, Paul, let's just talk about Paul here for a second, because some of us have no idea who this, who this guy is. Uh, if you've ever heard of the term Apostle Paul, that's Paul. Maybe you, sometimes you drive by like a church where it says like St. Paul's or something like that. It's, all, it's often referring to this Paul. He's a bit of a celebrity during his time, uh, mainly because of his story. Here's a guy who was, had a highly respected position. He was top of his field. He's making great money, uh, had made a name for himself, very religious, very devout. But he still felt like something was missing. And to get what was missing, he essentially loses everything. So he's got this crazy story. He's this riveting speaker. People love him. And he's here in this electrified city of Athens. He's waiting for his buddies. So it says, now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he walks the city filled with idols, marketplace selling little idol trinkets. He sees packed pagan temples, temple prostitutes working the crowd as part of their worship. He's walking around, he sees all of this, he's very disturbed because he knows what it's like. He knows what this feels like. His heart breaks as he watches family after family arrive in this city with so much hope. Maybe it's here in Athens where I finally find what I've been looking for and then watching them leave exhausted and broke, feeling further from that missing piece. All these idols, none of them filling that void and we know exactly what that's like because we live in Athens. We live in Athens, don't we? I mean, okay, yeah, maybe we don't have like statues of idols all around town or in our houses, but, but we have our idols. Like for some of us, it's relationships. It's just relationship after relationship. We're looking for meaning. We're looking for, for purpose in each relationship, uh, that missing piece in each lover. For some of us, it's, it's a career. We're just chasing fulfillment. For others of us, it's pleasure. Uh, stuff. It's sports. It, it's our image. And we sacrifice for that thing, hoping that it delivers what we're looking for. I think if we were to be honest, we know Paul would see the same thing in us. He's walking around. Verse 18 says, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. Now, Epicureans Epicurean here, Epicureans believe that um, we'll never find that missing piece. All right, we know there's a missing piece. We'll never find it. We can't figure it out. So just have a nice day, get an extra glass of wine, forget about it, whatever. Stoics would say, no, 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 we can find this, just give us time. Like, we can, we can find what's missing, we'll find it. Some of us are Epicureans, some of us are Stoics. Both are conversing with Paul, like what they're talking about. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he's preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So what Paul is walking around town and, and the discussions that he's having, it, it's all new to them because Paul doesn't seem to be talking about religion as he's walking around. We know this. Religion is all about like do this, do that, make these sacrifices, spend this money, make this pilgrimage, and hopefully, fingers crossed, the gods or God will be appeased and you'll be accepted. But what Paul is saying as he's walking around Athens sounds crazy because he's talking about a God who's already done everything that we're not good enough, we'll never be good enough. So God came wrapped in flesh to pay our debt and then defeated death. We don't have to earn our way to God. God came to us. Now, to these ancient people, this is extremely wild, but equally fascinating. So they invite Paul to that rock, the Areopagus, the pavilion. Well, let's discuss it there. Can you imagine that? They're walking through those crowded streets, up those lined steps, all the way up past the marketplace to the Areopagus. Crowd stands there looking at Paul. 
Paul looks back at them. Verses 19, we, we, we pick up the story. It says, uh, the leaders of the Oropagus say, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, here's what's going on. You can't just waltz into Athens with these new teachings. Because this is how, like, civil wars started. Somebody comes to town, teaches something new, and then families, families are split over it. And maybe you know exactly what this is like, right? Half the family believes one thing. The other half of the family believes the other thing. And so at Thanksgiving or Christmas, you all come together. You're like, we're not going to talk about that one thing until that weird uncle always brings it up because he just loves throwing the grenade right in the middle of the, you know what I'm talking about? That's exactly what's happening here. They don't want that to happen. So they say, come to the Oropagus. You can talk about your teachings, and then we'll approve if you can spread this around town. So you imagine this. There they are. The pavilion is packed. Everyone is looking at this shorter statured man named Paul. Paul is looking back at all of these faces. He sees the hopelessness in each of their eyes, that they crave meaning, they crave something. And he stands up and he shouts this over the crowd. Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. In other words, I can tell you're all searching. You've been searching. Because look at your city. And in many ways, he says the same thing to us. I can tell you're searching. Look at your life. Past relationships. You're just chasing the butterflies of new relationships. And then when it dies down, you're on to the next. I can tell you're searching for something. Maybe it's not relationships. Maybe it's stuff. You know, one of the, the biggest uh, growing industries right now is storage. You know that? Get this. There are more storage facilities right now than there are McDonald's locations, McDonald's. Isn't that wild? Just massive industry. We can't fit our stuff in our houses anymore, so we're just buying warehouses. Anytime some of us feel like an emptiness, we're on Amazon, aren't we? Aren't, am I the only guilty one searching Amazon? I'm going to make my own Christmas this week. <laughs> my front door. It's like filling that void. And so Paul gets out. He's like, hey, God, I can tell you're searching. I can tell you're searching. Look at the sacrifices that you make for your career. You're sacrificing everything for that career, sacrificing everything for that hobby, for that, for that sport, for, for that person, the substances you use, the image you care so much about, the pleasures that you're chasing. I can tell you're searching and you're spinning your wheels. Since for I passed along and observed the object of your worship, and I found also an altar with this inscription to, to the unknown God. Now, here's what he's talking about. In the Acropolis, there was this, this altar and as Paul said, in the inscription on it says, to the unknown God. And it's actually survived this many years. Like you can go to Rome in the museum and you can, you can see um, this, this altar. I mean, the story actually happened. This is the altar that Paul was talking about. And it's fascinating, though, when you think about what's going on here. Because all around the city, there's all of these different altars, all of these different gods. But just in case they missed one, they built this one. This is like their just-in-case God. Just in case. It's like, hey, who is this God? We don't know. But just in case they show up, we can say, we were expecting you. We just, we just didn't know your name. Now, it might seem silly, but again, you and I, we do the same thing. That's why some of us only go to church on Christmas and Easter, right? It's like, hey, just in case. Don't really believe this whole God stuff, you know, but hey, just in case. Or my family raised me this way. I don't really, like, participate, but I'll call myself that, you know, just, hey, just in case. Or I'll recite a prayer when I remember. Not sure it goes anywhere, it does anything, but you know, just in case. It's nice to, nice to have it in my back pocket. 
Like as much as we smile at, at, at this, because this is just kind of weird, we find ourselves doing the same exact thing today. And so there's Paul standing on the Oropagus. I can see you care. I can see you care. It's why you're here. You know, something or someone is, is out there. Something or someone that is greater than yourself, but you're not quite sure. And you could hear a pin drop on that pavilion. He says, what therefore you worship is unknown. I'm going to proclaim it to you. This is so rich, isn't it? Like, and it's in the Bible. Like, ah, you've got to read the Bible. It's so good. It continues on. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in temples made by man. Like that, that impressive Acropolis over there, I mean, look at it. It's incredible. But it can't house the creator of this universe. God doesn't live in temples. If you were talking to us today, you would say, your cathedrals that you build all around town, even your stadiums, some of them are gorgeous. The architecture of some of our cathedrals is exquisite. But God doesn't reside in those cathedrals. He's too big. He's too alive. He's too active to reside in a man-made empty temple or church. The crowd is standing. This is, this is all so new to them. And then Paul takes it further. He says, Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. It's the age-old quest, right? It's, it was happening back then, but it's happening today. People are running around, and maybe you find yourself doing this, running around trying to do things for God, right? Trying to appease God, trying to earn, earn something. You don't really know what it is, but try to earn that. Try, try to get credit, and all of it out, is out of fear. Paul here takes that whole quest, and he flips it on his head. He says, God doesn't need human hands. He doesn't need anything at all, but you need him. Right now, he is filling your lungs with air. Your next heartbeat will be a gift from God himself. He is holding you together as we speak. He doesn't need you. He continues. And he made one from man, every nation of mankind, to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. He's saying God's in control of everything. They should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. It is actually not far from each one of us. I love that. Feel their way toward him. Here we are trying to feel our way around, find that missing piece, building a necropolis or, or temple or cathedrals, but for us to be building a, a career or a business or, or dating or having families or making homes, but still it hits the pillow at night and we realize, man, we're just still feeling our way around trying to figure out what this missing piece is. Continues on. He says, being then God's offspring. I got to stop here because it's this phrase that just shook the plaza. God's offspring. What's he talking about? Offspring. Because we can't even come close to the gods. That's why we offer sacrifices and hope they don't judge us. God's offspring. See, Genesis says that God made you, God made me, God made us in his image. You, you think about that, you think about what that means. You are a walking piece of artwork from God himself. You're not an empty, soulless flesh and bone. You're not a product of an accidental universe. There's something uniquely special about you. There's the fingerprint of the divine on you. You are God's offspring. That's incredible. Offspring. I have three offspring of my own. A household of girls. Even the dog is a girl. I'm, I like to say I'm a minority in a sorority. Like if you were to go and if you were to go in my girls' rooms and like open their closets, it looks like the, the store Claire's just puked all over. It's just the worst. But 
I, I, I do, I love, I love being a dad. Being a dad is my favorite job. It, it's, it's, it's just the best. Uh, and, and I'll say this, Nicole and I didn't have these girls though, so that, you know, they could do stuff for us. That'd be messed up, wouldn't it? We would have offspring so that they can earn my love. It's just jacked up. We didn't have these girls because, you know, we were bored and needed something to do. Now, maybe that's how they were made, but that's not why they were made. We made these girls to be objects of our love so that we can love and enjoy our offspring because they're our offspring. This is what Paul is saying about you, that you are no accident. I don't care how you came to be. You're no accident. God formed you in your mother's womb and he gave you life to enjoy you as his. Now here we are, we're looking for value in relationships. We're looking value for value in pleasures and careers to give ourselves meaning, to feel the sense of purpose because we don't want to feel like just this, this aging body. No, you were created with that value. It was given to you by the creator himself. And there is nothing you can do, religion or success, there is nothing you can do to make yourself more valuable, to make yourself more loved by God. You are God's offspring. It's this phrase that pierced the crowd. It somehow it pierces us today. Verse 29 says, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or image formed by art or imagination of man. And look at this. He says, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Repent. It's kind of a heavy word, isn't it? Like when you think of the word repent, you think of like an angry street preacher with a cardboard sign telling everyone they're going to hell. That's not, what, that's not really what Paul is saying here. All Paul is saying is, is it's time to change your mind, guys. It's time to change your mind. Change your mind. Turn from what you've been placing all of your hope and, and meaning into Change your mind about all of that. It's time to change. It's time to repent. Why? Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And they knew this man that he's appointed. They knew he was talking about Jesus because that's what he's talking about earlier in the day. See, Paul is getting at, and maybe we don't like this, but we have to go here. Paul is getting at this idea that we are all headed toward this day of judgment. And that can sound really scary, but it's needed, isn't it? Like, aren't you sick of seeing evil win? all around us? Because isn't it disgusting seeing some of the atrocities that people commit? And then it seems like they get away with it. Without a day of judgment, evil wins. The scripture says that we are headed to this day of judgment. And at the day of judgment, there is rewards and there is punishment. And there is one perfect judge. His name is Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ is not just a judge. He is also the savior. He came to save us from his judgment. Since he has this ridiculous love for you, before he judges, he came to save you from that impending judgment. See, God knew that all of us deserved hell. We walked away from God. We ran after what we wanted. We did our own thing. We screwed up. We made a mess. We have this missing piece, and we built a broken world with a missing piece. And we had it coming to us. And so God steps in, hangs on a cross, he pays our debt. The debt that we owed was paid for by the judge himself. He's not just a judge, he's a savior. He's what we long for, what we are looking for is all in Jesus Christ. That's why Paul finishes by shouting this over the Oropagus. And that this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So that you and you and you and me and you 
that we can all have this assurance that we've been reconnected back with God, which is all we really want, because this is what we were created for, to be with God, and you can have that assurance. I mean, how many of us, we're just feeling our way throughout life, hoping that like, this is all worth it, the life we're living, hoping that you know, if there is a next life, hoping that we'll be all right, just hoping. And we hate the idea of hell because it scares the hell out of us because sometimes we think we deserve it. Paul says, the judge came so that you can know that you have been reconnected back to God. Incredible. We finish in verse 32. It says, now when they heard of the resurrection of Jesus, they repented, tore down their idols, and followed Jesus. I made that verse up. But you didn't know it because you don't read your Bible. You're like, oh, that's a cool ending, Junior. Nah. I'm just saying, I didn't see anybody flinch here, okay? I'm just I'm keeping, no, I'm just keeping you honest. I, I put this up here because if this were like a legend story, if this were just all made up, this is how the story would have been written, right? And everybody seriously followed Jesus and lived happily ever after, the end. But that's not what happened. I mean, here's what happened. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. God becoming man? No, 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 Religion is all about us getting to the gods. God becomes man? And then dies, stop. He mocked. And I get it, to be expected. And maybe that's where you're at, right here. Maybe you're here in church today because a friend invited you, like, hey, let's go to church, come on. Maybe they promised you lunch after church, so you're just in this for the lunch. Or maybe a cute date invited you, and this is a weird date, but like, hey, whatever, we'll go. And, and you're, you're here and you're listening to this, and it just it seems like this seems ridiculous. You're not alone so glad you're here. We believe that you still matter to God and that you are loved by God. And to reject this, we don't hate you. We get it. We totally get it because many of us used to be there. Some mocked. But others, others said, we will hear you again about this. We have to think about this, Paul. We have to process this because this all struck something and they couldn't rightfully explain what it struck because they know they know what it's like to feel hopeless, to feel their way around in this dark world, grasping at every, anything and everything that, that looks like it might give them meaning. And they're tired, they're tired of guessing, they're tired of trying, and they're tired of being let down. And all these words, to hear these words, that someone greater is closer than you think, and the work has already been done, and there is assurance that somehow spoke right to their soul. And for some of them on that plaza that day, Turn the light on. So what about you? What about you when it, when it comes to all of this? Where are you at? Let me close with boiling this all down. Like, if we were to summarize the teaching of the Bible, it, it would be this. God is the designer and the creator of this vast universe from the macro of planetary or solar systems and planetary orbits to the micro, DNA encoding. God is the designer, he's the creator, and he is the sustainer. And scripture tells us that the crown of his creation is you. Pinnacle of creation. You were made different than the rest of creation. You have a soul. And with that soul comes this curiosity to know your creator. And you have that soul so that you can have this relationship with God. Creator of this universe made you for relationship. And he made you so that you can be together. You can be loved by God. He made you for that relationship, unity with God. 
So everything we've ever wanted is right here. That missing piece that we feel that we want, it's right here. Deep down, this is our greatest longing. But scripture also teaches us that because of God's love for us, he gives us our own free will. The ability to choose him and to love him back. God doesn't just make a bunch of robots. It's kind of like with my own kids. I don't tell my kids, like, tell me you love me. I love you, Dad. Like, that's not going to mean anything. I want that to come from their heart. God is not some caveman dragging us by our hair to, to him. He gives us a choice. But with that choice comes this problem of sin. And sin is simply doing what we want to do. It's turning away from God, choosing things over God. And that sin has cut us off from relationship. We walked away. And now there is this chasm between us and the creator. This is what we feel so deeply in our soul. This is what we feel when our head hits the pillow and we think there's something missing. It's this chasm between us and God. This is why the U2 song topped the charts, because the world has felt this ever since the Garden of Eden. And so we set out to fill this chasm, to distract us from this, cha- this chasm, whether it's paychecks or, or, or money, relationships, and nothing ever works. Many of us try to do different things to get across this chasm. You know, if I could just, uh, if I could just do good deeds, maybe that's what I, maybe I can get to God. I can find what I'm looking for, earn my way to God. If I could just keep on giving, maybe I can give my way to God, or I'll get part of some sort of religion. I can check off all of these religious efforts to make myself feel better, or I'll, I'll show up for church sometimes. And some of these things are great things, but they, they never get us there. It'd be like if you and I were to go to the beach of Lake Michigan, we were going to try to jump across the lake. I mean, some of us might make it further than the others, but none of us are going to get close. And our head is the pillow, and we still feel this disconnect with our Creator. And so God steps in, God comes down, God becomes man, Jesus Christ. This is why we are obsessed with Jesus Christ, because God in His great love comes to us. He lives a perfect life, something that we couldn't do. And he took our sin to the cross. Jesus Christ came, died, resurrected to bridge the chasm between us and God. Jesus is your only hope. He is your only way back to God. And so here we are. Sin has separated us from God, but there's a way back to him. The work has already been done. It's not found in religion. You're not going to find it there. It's not found in being good. It is found in Jesus Christ. And all we have to do is cross the bridge to take that invite. Jesus has done all the work. It's believing in the work of Jesus Christ and putting your faith in him. He is your connection to your creator. And all of this really begs the question, where are you at when it comes to all of this? And maybe you're thinking, Junior, it can't be that simple. But, but it is. I mean, Jesus died to make it this simple because I, I need it simple. Like, look at me. Religion isn't taking this. But God will. Because of Jesus, I am thankful that it is this simple. I need it simple. And you do too. I stand here telling you there is no checklist. There's no purchases. There's no secret. It is simply stepping out in faith and committing to Jesus. Romans 10, 9, Paul elsewhere, he writes that whoever will confess with their mouths that Jesus is Lord and will believe in their hearts that God has raised him from the dead will be saved. 
Four verses later in Romans 10, 13, it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you call on him right now, asking him to forgive you, trusting in Jesus to be in charge of your life and to save you, you can be saved. You can cross this bridge. There's no better place. There's no better time. It's now. It's here. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, would you give it a share? It goes a long way. Also, don't forget to subscribe if you haven't yet. Hey, God has something for you today. Go after it. Blessings.